The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 630 p.m. Today's message is taken from Deuteronomy, the 20th chapter, and deals with the subject of facing our enemies. I don't know about you, but it seems like everywhere I look, there are enemies in this world. The world system is against us. The devil is certainly against us. And even our own human nature is against us. I don't find many friendly faces toward the kingdom of God in this world. It seems like there are constantly spiritual battles to be fought. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, Moses gave instructions to the children of Israel about how to face the enemies when they went into the promised land. I believe there's some great lessons in that chapter for us today. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. If you would, turn with me to Deuteronomy, the 20th chapter. And as you turn there, I want to ask you a question. Do you sense fear in the world today? Do you have a sense of fear sometimes in dealing with the things that are occurring in the world? I turn on my television, and I don't get a good feeling. I get a sense of anxiety. If I look at CNN or Fox News or any other kind of news, 
All I see are things that I, I have a strong suspicion are designed to scare me. What I see in the world is not friends, but enemies. What I see out there in our universities, in our colleges, in our school systems where our young children are being taught, I don't find that they're filled with friends, and I'm not talking about running teachers down. I think we've got wonderful teachers, in, especially in this part of the country, but I'm talking about in general. Our educational system is not our friend. I'm afraid it's become our enemy. In the Deuteronomy, the 20th chapter, Moses is in the process of giving instructions to the children of Israel that particularly apply to their coming into the land of Canaan, coming into the promised land. And he says that even when you come into the promised land, you're going to find enemies in the land. Here in the church, which I believe is, is in a sense our promised land, it's the land of promise that God has given us. We even, even as the church exists in the world today, as much of a refuge as it is, we are surrounded by enemies. Moses has given them some instructions here about how to face the enemy. That's what I want to preach to you about tonight. I want to preach to you tonight about facing our enemies. Now I want you to notice in Deuteronomy chapter 20 and verse 1, he says, When, not if, when thou goest out to battle. In other words, there are going to be battles in life. This is not a place where we can let our guard down and rest and relax. Truth of the matter is, we have enemies. And he says, when, not if, when thou goest out to battle against thine enemies. And now notice what he's, he's saying you're going to see when you go out to this battle. And seest horses and chariots and a people more than thou. Here he says, when you go to battle, you're going to find that the enemy is great. In Isaiah chapter 59, in about verse 19, he talks about the enemy coming in like a flood. One of the scariest movies I ever saw as a, as a, as a kid in my Probably, I don't think I was a teenager yet. It was about a, it was about a dam that was going to break, and the whole movie was about the dam slowly crumbling, and nobody was paying any attention, and it was full of millions of gallons of water. And sure enough, before the movie was over, uh, it, it, the dam broke, and it just washed this town away. <laughs> and that was so scary to me. I'm so glad I live on that hill over there. <laughs> There's no water up higher than I am, you know. It scared me to death. But you see, the enemy sometimes comes in like a flood, and the enemy is great. But notice what he says, Be not afraid of them, for the Lord thy God is with thee, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. The enemy is great, but your God is greater. So when you go out to face the enemy, the first principle Moses lays down for them is be not afraid. Do not be afraid of the enemy. Child of God, today, do not be afraid of the enemy. You're going to see horses. You're going to see chariots. You're going to see a people more than thou. I don't know about you, but I don't look out there among the masses of civilization and say, boy, there's a whole lot more of us than there are of them. <laughs> I look out there and say, I feel like I'm in the minority. There are, there are things going on in this world today that I never dreamed as a young. You know, I used to hear the old folks say that. I guess I'm old now. They say, things used to happen when I was a kid. They're happening now that I never dreamed would happen when I was a kid. Well, beloved, that's the case. I'm there. If that means I'm old, I'm just old. Because things that are happening today, I never dreamed would happen as a child. 
They're being told that gender is fluid. They're being told that marriage is not between a man and a woman. They're being told that love is just whatever you want it to be. I don't find myself in the majority anymore. I don't know that I ever was, but I sure don't feel that way. The enemy is powerful. The enemy is great. Sometimes it seems to me like the enemy is coming in like a flood. You remember over in, we won't turn there, but you can turn and read it sometime in 2 Kings, the sixth chapter, when the Syrian army came looking for Elisha. That morning, his young servant got up and looked out and they were surrounded by the army. It was just Elisha and his servant. He said, what are we going to do, master? The old prophet there, just he had the right view. He remembered Deuteronomy chapter 20. He said, son, they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And then he just closed his eyes and lifted his face up to heaven and said, Lord, open his eyes that he might see. <laughs> now look, the Syrian army was a great army. It, it, was, it was an army that was full of weapons and weaponry and men and a whole lot more than just Elisha and his servant there. But when God opened his servant's eyes, you know what he saw? Horses and chariots fire encircling the mountain there that they were on between them and the Syrians. <laughs> and then the, the beauty of it, by the way, was that <laughs> Elisha just, God smote him with blindness and the next thing you know, the man they came to kill was leading them around by the nose, ended up leading them right into the camp of the Israelites where they could have been destroyed, but Elisha said, no, don't do that. And they just sheepishly turned around and headed back to Syria. <laughs> you see, the reason Elisha wasn't afraid is because he knew what had been told to them by Moses. He said, when you see the horses and you see the chariots and you see that the people outnumber you, be not afraid of them. Why? Because our God is a greater God than any enemy of this world. The Lord thy God is with thee, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Let me just make this point to you. At that point in the history of the children of Israel, the most significant event historically that had occurred was their deliverance from Egypt. In fact, they were still on their journey to the promised land out of, after they had been delivered out of Egypt. How did God deliver them? You know, they got to the banks of the Red Sea and they were up against the sea on the one hand and the armies of Pharaoh on the other. And, and I don't know what Moses even thought was going to happen. I'm not sure he even knew all the details of how the deliverance was going to occur. But instead of sending some army or enabling them to fight or turning them into super warriors or anything like that, Moses just said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And the Lord opened a way where there was no way. He divided the Red Sea where there was otherwise mud and would have been all kinds of uh, troubles for them to cross, and yet we're told they crossed on dry ground. You know why? Because their God was greater than the gods of the Egyptians, was greater than the enemy. And up to that point, that was the greatest event in their lives. But I want to say this to you, child of God. You say, well, I haven't seen God open up the Red Sea, but if you're here tonight and you have any spiritual sense about you at all, the Lord has delivered you from the bondage of Egypt. You know what Egypt represents in the Word of God? It represents the world. It represents worldliness. It represents sin. It represents the old man. 
Abraham was always struggling in the promised land with the temptation to go back down into Egypt. Aren't we always struggling, even though we've been delivered by the new birth into a new land, into a new place, aren't we always struggling with going back to Egypt? Sometimes we rely on Egypt for help. <laughs> when we ought to just rely on the Lord, when we, we don't compromise with the enemy, we shouldn't give in to the enemy because our God is greater. He's delivered us from spiritual Egypt. He's parted the Red Sea of our soul. When we couldn't do it ourselves, that parting of the Red Sea, that deliverance from Egypt, by the way, is, a, I believe, a great type of the new birth showing us what it was before and how God delivered us in a way that no man could have delivered. See, our God is greater. You know, our God's delivered in so many ways. There was a time when one death angel was sent who slew 185,000 Assyrians in one night our God's greater you say well that that was a great hope that's over over in second Kings chapter 19 look at it sometime there was a whole host of the Assyrians encamped over there and some some leprous men came walking down through the camp the next morning and all they saw was dead folks everything was gone you know why because an angel had come in and, and one angel slain 185,000 in one night See, that's the hosts of the armies of our God. Do not be afraid, he says. Do not be afraid. Now, when you go out to battle and you face the enemy, he's told us, don't be afraid. But I'll tell you something else that I believe this is telling us here. He said, do not be absent. Do not be absent from the assembly where the word is preached. And here's why. Notice in verse 2, It shall be when ye are come nigh unto the battle that the priest shall approach and speak unto the people. And he goes on to say what he'll tell them is to remind them not to be afraid. So he's saying to them, look, don't be afraid, but clearly God understands that we're but flesh, that we will forget. And so what's he done? He's commissioned priests to go down and to remind us from time to time what it is that we should do when facing the enemy, which is not be afraid. Notice it says, He shall say unto them, verse 3, Hear, O Israel, ye approach this day unto battle against your enemies. Let not your hearts faint. Fear not, and do not tremble, neither be ye terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he that goeth with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. Now notice what he said in verse 1. He said, when you go out, don't be afraid. He's written it down, don't be afraid. But God is so good to us that he's provided us a way to be reminded of that from time to time. In that day, it was to have a priest go down and preach to them. A priest would go down and say, remember what God said to you? He said, don't be afraid. Your God is greater. You need to be encouraged. Don't be in despair. Don't run like cowards and flee. Well, we don't have priests today, and we don't literally go out to battle today. But I tell you, beloved, I'm expecting a battle tomorrow when I get in my car and I head down to Montgomery. I'm not expecting it to be an easy day. I'm not expecting it to be an easy week. Last week was not an easy week. I'm telling you, there's enemies out there. There's battles that aren't physical battles, but we are going to have to engage in spiritual warfare while we're here. We need to be reminded. It's, look, it's in the book. You don't need me to tell you. You can go read it for yourself, right? I mean, you can, and you should. But I don't know about you, I forget about it sometimes. And I'm a preacher, <laughs> and I forget about it. 
I need a preacher sometimes to remind me as a preacher not to be afraid. Beloved, you need a preacher to remind you not to be afraid. You need to be here in the house of the Lord. You know, don't be absent. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together because you need this. You know, it's enough that God said come to church. It's enough that God said be here in the assembly. I mean, we ought to do it if for no other reason, but there's some reasons he said that. One is he talks about over in the book of Hebrews, I believe it's the 10th chapter and about the 25th verse, that we're to exhort one another and we're to uplift one another. How can we do that if we're not together? I feel stronger tonight with you and I will feel stronger tomorrow remembering this night than I would as if I had not been here and had not been in the worship service on this Sunday. I was invigorated spiritually from last weekend. I was emboldened. I was excited last week because of what I experienced over the weekend. We need to be in the house of God because we need a preacher. It's not a priest. I'm not a priest, but I am a preacher. We need someone to stand in this pulpit and remind us not to be afraid. Even though the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a banner against him. You see, our God is greater. Don't be absent from the assembly. But notice as you keep reading here, you, you know, I, I don't feel worthy. I don't feel very able or capable of doing this job of being your pastor and standing here even just to deliver a message to you. But I know the Lord has called me into the ministry. He's called me in like Brother Buddy and Brother Craig and Brother John Morgan and others that we know. He has called uh, men into the, into the ministry to stand before you and to exhort and to uplift and to preach the word. And so I know he's going to be with me. And you need me. And I need these other brethren. I need all of you who are preachers. But notice he says the people need to be led. Certainly you need preachers. You need someone to stand here. But you also need to be a leader. The people need not only to be led, but they need to be leaders. Notice in verse 5, after the priest has come around and has exhorted them, the officer shall speak unto the people, saying, What man is there that hath built a new house and hath not dedicated it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in battle. What man is he that hath planted a vineyard and not eaten of it? What man is he that hath betrothed a wife? And the officers are going around, and what they're doing is they are leading the people. They are leading them. The, the, the people don't have to be led just by the priest, you see. The congregation doesn't need to have to be led only by the preacher. You see, it's wonderful to have a preacher. It's wonderful to have a pastor. Five Mile doesn't have a pastor. They didn't disappear. They didn't dissipate. They didn't just break up and everybody go home because they didn't have a pastor. If something happens to me here at Zion, that doesn't mean the church ends. In fact, the preacher's not the church. The preacher's part of the church. Paul said over in, I believe it's in Philippians, the second chapter, maybe the third chapter, he said, I'm an example to you. The preacher and the, ought to be an example to the flock, but what does an example do? It spurs the flock on to do like they do. Now, I'm a poor example, I know that. Now, when I'm preaching the truth and when I'm living in the right way and doing the right things, Paul said in that way, you need to follow me as I follow Christ. You need to follow me as I follow Christ, church. 
You need to follow Brother John Morgan, Brother Craig, Brother Ronnie, Brother Buddy, uh, uh, Brother Tim. All those. You need to follow us as we follow Christ. But here's the point. You need to follow Christ. You need, these officers didn't say, well, I'm helpless without our priest. No, the priest encouraged them. Then they went around leading. They went around giving instructions. Now, these instructions are about those who don't need to fight. <laughs> but you know, sometimes that's what we need to know, just how important it is not to fight sometimes. It's just as important to know when to fight. And this is sort of a total aside, but, but there's one sin you're never told to fight. In fact, you're told to flee it, not fight it. That's fornication. Fornication is not a, you know, some people say, well, I'm strong enough. I can go out. No, you're not strong enough. You better flee it. You better flee it. You better be a coward when it comes to fornication. <laughs> Stay away from it. And then he says, beginning in verse 10, how we're to approach the battle. When thou comest nigh unto a city to fight against it, then proclaim peace unto it. You know what I believe he's teaching us here is that, you know, I, I, know, I know there are a lot of Christians a lot of people out there who are in your face kind of Christians. They're in your face. They're protesting Christians. They're protesters. You know, I'm, I understand that in our democracy, our republic that we live in, our democratic republic, that there's a place for political activism. There's a place for us to speak up and to, and to speak out, and we ought to. We ought never be silent about the epidemic of abortion that has slain so many babies in this world today, in our country. We ought never be silent about that, but by the same token, God didn't call us to be protesters. He called us to be professors and peacemakers. And that doesn't mean compromise, we'll see that in a minute, but understand, the first thing we're to do is not to go start slinging rocks and arrows and all that against the enemy. The first thing, proclaim peace. Be, don't be antagonistic. Always start out with peace. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers. Notice it says peacemakers, not peace acceptors, because you, peace doesn't just happen. <laughs> you have to make peace, beloved. If you've got problems with somebody, you've got to pursue peace with that person. It doesn't just happen. It doesn't just occur you don't just wake up one morning and suddenly you're at peace if you're having problems with somebody you have to pursue peace but he says pursue it and in fact we really need a good dose of this as primitive baptists i think those of us who are primitive baptists and some others who are independent baptists that i'm aware of that believe the doctrines of grace it is so tempting I, I, I say this because I know it's so tempting to just want to be right and to prove your point. You know, I had that attitude for a long time. I just want people to know I'm right. I just want them to know I've got the truth and, and I want them to see how right I am. Now, we ought to be right. We ought to seek truth just because it is right. But that's not the point. That's not what we're trying to do. We should, sometimes we who understand the truths of grace are highly tempted to become argumentative and to, become, uh, to, to, to strive with those who are, who are not on the same page that we are. But you know what Paul told Timothy, the young preacher there? 
2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 24, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. Do you know, over time, I've come to have a little different approach to things. I still like to be right. But notice what Paul said your goal is in converting someone. I'm not talking about getting them born again. Only God can do that. But we can be instrumental in their conversion, that is, their understanding of the truth of grace. He said... The purpose is that God, by chance, might just give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth so that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. You know why I want to share our doctrine with everybody who's a child of God? Because I know that until you see the truths of grace, you're in the snare of the devil to a lesser or greater extent. You're in bondage because you're struggling to do what's necessary to get to heaven. You're struggling to either live right or hold on or let go or pray through or, or pray the sinner's prayer or do something in order to get yourself right with God so that you might go to heaven and that is nothing but bondage. Yeah, I want to be right. But more than that, I want to see God's children liberated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth. And what will the truth do? Will it get you to heaven? Will it uh, get you born again? No, the truth will make you free. You know what it makes you free from? It makes you free from the bondage of sin. He told the Galatians over there, Paul did, he said, don't go back into that bondage. He said, how, how have you so soon? He said, you've fallen from grace. You, in other words, you have not fallen out of the hand of God, but you've fallen away from the precious teachings that it's all of grace. And when we approach people with that, we, we should do it in a spirit of love with a goal not to antagonize. and not, We don't immediately go and attack. You know, I've done that. <laughs> I did that one time when I was about 15 years old, sitting there among some friends that were older, some younger. One of the older boys started talking about accepting Jesus and all that he'd done and all this. And I looked at him, I said, that's just wrong, brother. <laughs> I ended up getting hit before it was over with, you know. I mean, that's, that was just the wrong approach. I, didn't, I went the wrong way instead of, instead of challenging in, in, in pride. I've learned that we need to approach in love, in meekness. Do not be antagonistic, but as we bring this to a close, it's also just as important, if not more so, that we do not be accommodating to the enemy in his teaching. Notice what it says in verse 10 here. When thou comest nigh unto the city to fight against it, proclaim peace unto it. It shall be, if, it make thee, if the city makes thee an answer of peace, and open unto thee, then it shall be that all the people that is found therein shall be tributaries unto thee, and they shall serve thee. Now notice in verse 12, And if it will make no peace with thee, but will make war against thee, then thou shalt besiege it. And when the Lord, 
thy God hath delivered it into thine hands. Thou shalt smite every male thereof with the edge of the sword. But the women and the little ones and the cattle and all that is in the city, even all the spoil thereof, thou shalt take for thyself. And thou shalt eat the spoil of thine enemies, which the Lord thy God hath given thee. Thus shalt thou do unto all the cities that are far off from thee, uh, which are not of the cities of these nations. But now he gets down to where it's the nations that are in the promised land there. He said, but of the cities of these people, which the Lord thy God doth give thee for an inheritance, thou shalt save alive nothing that breatheth, but thou shalt utterly destroy them. You say, whoa, preacher, that's some harsh stuff. Well, what was literal and actual and, and, and not figurative and symbolic for them is something that we need to take symbolically in our day. In that day, that was God's command. And he had a reason for that. It sounds harsh, but I want to tell you, beloved, sin is harsher. Now, I don't want to get into all the details. He names these nations, the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, so forth. He said, boy, that sounds, that sounds harsh to go in there and destroy all of them. You remember the Amalekites over there that uh, Saul was sent down to destroy every man, woman, and child over there, and he was to kill them, and he didn't do it, and because he didn't do what God said, God stripped the kingdom from him, and said, boy, that sounds harsh. Now, without going too, too far astray tonight, let me just say this. These were not peaceful nations. These were not godly nations. You know what they did in worshiping their gods? They took their little babies and they laid them up in the arms of this Baal-type god, Molech and others. This big, fat god that had arms wrapped around here and a hole in his belly and fire burning beneath and drums beating to drown out the cries of the babies and the mamas. And they would lay those newborn children, those young children into his bosom and they would fall down and burn to death as sacrifices to their gods. It kind of puts a new perspective on the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and God's command to wipe them out, doesn't it? <laughs> but be that as it may, what's the lesson for us, you say, preacher? Sin is never something that we should ever accommodate. Sin is not something that we can bring in close to us and keep up tight against us and be okay. He tells us, well, back over in Deuteronomy chapter 7, he gives an even more explicit command about this to the children of Israel. In verse 1 of chapter 7, he said, When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land, whither thou goest to possess it, and hath cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites, and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, the same nations he names over here in Deuteronomy chapter 20. Seven nations greater and mightier than thou. When the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. Now why is this? What's the problem here? Verse 4, for they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. And so will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. Back over in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 18 there. Here's the reason he says 
again to do this, that they teach you not to do after all their abominations, which they have done unto their gods, and so should you sin against the Lord your God. What's he telling us here? He's saying, don't you make any accommodations with sin. Don't you make treaties with the enemies of the world. Don't you compromise with the enemies of the world. Those who are out there who teach doctrines contrary to my word, do not accommodate them. Because they will drag you away. As much as you think you'll change them, most likely the answer is that they'll change you. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. This is what the New Testament says about that. Verse 14. Now I know, <laughs> I know where we primarily apply this, but it applies in so many other ways too. Deuteron uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. The view here and the idea that Paul is promoting is, is oxen yoked together pulling the plow. And, and, and he's saying, if you're yoked up, if you're an oxen and you're yoked up with a mule or vice versa, it's going to be problems. That's all. The, nothing's going to get done. It's not going to be a good situation. He says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What's an unbeliever? It's someone who doesn't believe the things that the Word of God teaches. That's what it is. You say, well, don't you mean he's just a non-Christian? Well, listen, let's, let's redefine Christian for a minute. What's a Christian? A Christian is a follower of Christ. One who is not a follower of Christ is not a Christian. Most of the time we say we're Christians ourselves, but the truth is in the Word of God we only see where others call them Christians. The point is this, is that our lives ought to reflect that we are followers of Christ and people ought to call us Christians from that regard. I'm not saying it's inappropriate for us to say, yes, I'm a Christian. Yeah, we should say that. I understand what that means today. But believe, beloved, remember this. There, if, if being a Christian means to be a follower of Christ, then there are parts of every day where I'm not a Christian. You ever thought about that? <laughs> are there parts of your day when people would look at you and say, wait a minute, I, I thought he was a Christian, but he's sure not acting like it now. I was so convicted this morning about the joy in when things don't go right. You know, one of the things I've been fussing about all week, I, off and on, I'd say something to share. You know, things just don't work right. They just ought to work right. <laughs> this ought to work right. That ought to work right. That's what gets me frustrated. I get aggravated. I'm out there working on something, trying to fix something. It won't work right. The power saw didn't work right, you know. <laughs> I wasn't showing much joy the day I was trying to keep that power saw running. The only way I could keep it running is to hold it down wide open, you know. Wow, and it was so frustrating. If you looked at me that day, you wouldn't have thought I was a Christian. In fact, I was not being a Christian. I was not a Christian. I'll put it even further. I don't mean I wasn't a child of God. Understand, if you've ever been a child of God, you'll always be a child of God. But you are not always a Christian. And sometimes we need to remember that, that being a Christian is being a follower of Christ. You know, what about unbelievers here? Sometimes we put people in the category of believers and unbelievers. And that means the believers are going to heaven, the unbelievers are going to hell. Child of God, not a child of God. You know, to whatever extent you do not trust the sacrifice of Christ for, you, for your eternal salvation, did you know you're an unbeliever? You know what that means? That means there's a lot of people in the world who are children of God who profess to believe, and they do believe to some extent, but they believe just a little bit. 
Maybe it's 10%, maybe it's 2%, maybe it's 1% is their own efforts and not the sacrifice of Christ. You know, to that extent, they're unbelievers. You say, boy, that puts us, so we're believers and they're not. Well, okay, let me also bring it down where it may hurt you a little bit. It may hurt your feelings some. You've been driving down the road and stressed out over work. Uh, you ever come home angry and frustrated and stressed and, 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 and just, you know, poor pitiful me. It never works out for me. You know, you know I'm confessing again, right? <laughs> I've done it, but I bet you have too. What are you not doing right then? You're not believing in Christ. You're not trusting in him. When they cut you off in traffic and instead of offering a prayer, praise God that that person is healthy and alive. And you say something that's a curse or something else, you're not trusting in Christ. You see, we're unbelievers a lot of times in life. Now, here in verse 14, to kind of bring this back and bring it to a close, we're not talking about that kind of unbeliever. We're all unbelievers to some extent. But what he's saying here is, when you go out, you know, I've seen so many young girls particularly, I don't know why it is, young girls that, that get hooked up, yoked up with one of these wild men of the world. And they say, oh, I can change him. <laughs> oh, I'm going to fix him. I'm going to tell you, beloved, that doesn't work. Don't be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. For what fellowship hath, righteous, hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? What part hath he that believeth with an infidel? He goes on to talk about the temple of God and idols. And he reminds us that we are the temple of the living God. You know, our worship of God is so important. The way we approach, the way we... What this Bible says is so important. The enemy doesn't think it's important. Sometimes the enemy doesn't think he's the enemy. Sometimes the enemy thinks they're doing you good. I know some people that are, are, are atheists in their beliefs, and they think they're doing you good by trying to convert you to their way of thinking. But, beloved, Paul said, If I or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel than that that I preach to you, let him be accursed. If you find one who's standing for anything other than what's in this, this word of God, let him be accursed. Don't be unequally yoked. Don't be accommodating to the enemy. But don't be afraid of him either. Because you see, our God is the God who loved us with an everlasting love. Who purposed our salvation from eternity past who spoke the world into existence, who sent his son to die for you, who sends his spirit into our hearts, who sends his spirit, pours it out upon us, crying, Abba, Father, because we are the sons of God. And who one day will fold up this world like a scroll, who will dissolve it with fervent heat. But before he does that, he's going to bring us out in the resurrection. You see, that's our God. The enemy may come in like a flood, but the Spirit of God lifts up a banner against him. The enemy may overwhelm you. He may overpower you. He may outnumber you. But remember, our God 
The Lord thy God is with thee, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Don't be afraid, though the enemy be mighty, because our God is mightier still. I appreciate your kind attention tonight. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.